Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my Lit Yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, Movement by Laura podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Before I get into today's Wednesday Q&A, I'm going to plug my online yoga teacher training. It is awesome. It's a 200-hour online teacher training in my method, the Lit Yoga Method. It is robust. It's 10 weeks. There is There are over 70 videos online. There's going to be an online community. So much to say about it, but if you're interested, check it out on lityoga.com. It starts February 3rd, and it's for anyone who's interested. You can be a teacher already. You can not want to teach yoga at all and just want to learn about functional movement and anatomy. There's philosophy and how to interweave that into our kind of bigger movement of life. It is amazing. So check it out. Tell some friends about it and let me know if you join. Of course, I'll see it, but I'm just so excited to meet you all. I am I will be very engaged in it. We will have weekly live Q&As with me and much, much more. So here is Wednesday Q&A. You sent me lots of great questions and I will get to them as best as I can. So first of all, someone asked, Julie Miller, 04, did you and your brother John go to the same PT school? We did not go to the same PT school. And that actually was kind of funny because we were a little bit competitive about it. At the time, I went to Duke University. John went to Washington University. They were like number one and two in the country for the best PT schools. They were, they're both fabulous, fabulous physical therapy schools. Um, This was 25 years ago. So there's, there was... Um, not as many choices by far. There was just um, fewer choices for schools. 
And both of those had been around quite a bit already. And he went to WashU, I went to Duke. And so we were always like, whoa, who's number one this week? But um, we both got a fabulous, amazing education. And I think the there was a lot of crossover in our mentors and that they were super intelligent and real critical thinkers. It was so to come out of PT school and and not be giving given formulas for protocols or anything like that, but really to learn how to learn about the body so much and about the physiology and kinesiology that you um, on the go can look at bodies with all kinds of things going on and and be able to figure it out. So it was it was we were both so happy with our experiences. So, but they, we went to different schools. So it would have been fun to go to the same school though. I did, I went first. His school started, no, I, I started in the summer. We start, no, that's not right. I started in August and he started a little bit later, but then his school went about a couple more months longer because my school did not have a break at all. We just went straight 24 some months or something like that. It was crazy. Okay, next question. Anna Lays, how to breathe while doing yoga? I, I got a, quite a few breath questions and it's inspiring me to create um, a breath series on my Lit Daily. So look for that. I'm going to be recording that. How to breathe while doing yoga? Well, I think that breath is both over and it's both over and underemphasized in yoga. I think what yoga is inviting us to do is pay attention, pay attention to the way we move where we place our hand, where we place our foot, how we transition. And and equally, it's asking us to pay attention or inviting us to pay attention to how we are breathing. Are we holding our breath? Are we keeping our breath shallow? So I have found in my experience that having people really connect to their core is the best way to connect deeper to the breath. Because breath is not that just some kind of abstract thing that happens in a different sphere. It's happening in your body. And breath is both conscious and then also unconscious, meaning that you are going to breathe whether or not you're trying to. Like it's happening, we sleep, we know, you know, it's not like we stop breathing. It's like that is always happening. So we have this unconscious breath that's always there for us. Then we can actually also, so that's also known as like involuntary and voluntary. So voluntary, like what we can bring in a more conscious and volitional way is strengthening our accessory muscles and our other muscles of breathing. So for instance, the diaphragm, which is this massive muscle in the center of our body that pretty much um, divides our thoracic cavity and our pelvic cavity. And it is part, it is a big part of our breath. It happened again, part of it is going to happen no matter what. It's involuntary. It's going, we're going to be, the diaphragm is going to be working. When we take a big breath in, the diaphragm drops down, making space for the lungs and the breath to go up into the thoracic cavity. And then the opposite happens with the exhale. These are small movements. The excursion in the diaphragm is not big at all, but it does happen. And the the diaphragm also has muscles, skeletal muscles, volitional muscles, meaning we can make the diaphragm stronger. And a lot of this is through the connections to our core. Part of the diaphragm connects to the psoas, which is a huge 
core muscle. It dives from, it comes from the front of the body. Well, really start originates from the back and goes through the body to the front. And it has a huge part. Um, we can really breathe better when we have a stronger and suppler psoas. Part of the diaphragm also interdigitates with the quadratus lumborum. This is a muscle in the back that is a pelvis stabilizer. It's also a lateral flexor. And there's two sides. It's a paired muscle. When it's shortened, when it's constricted, it constricts our breath. So what I hope you're realizing is how the how to breathe during yoga is such a multifaceted answer <laughs> for me to for for me to give. But what I will tell you uh, from my experience, and this is you know decades of teaching thousands of people, get people moving so that their breath is is going to ramp up. Get people attending to the breath, and always start with the integration of the core. So the pelvis being neutral is fundamental for deeper, fuller breaths. If your if your pelvis is not neutral, it has an impact on all those muscles I was just um, talking about. It has an impact on the diaphragm, on the quadratus lumborum, on the psoas. Just by moving the pelvis, will will kind of shift the way you can breathe. So you have so all my classes we start with the reset, which is resetting, so that we find that return to neutral pelvis, and then we get all of the essential core muscles that are around the proximal, deep, deep core muscles, the postural uh, muscles that really help out with the breath. So you can't, in my opinion, you can't breathe as well as you'd like to in yoga, meaning full and multi-dimensional breaths. It's not just stuck in one dimension or two dimensions. If you don't reset your body and, and work on the core, the deep core muscles. So I hope that helps, but yeah, practice with me. And I, I promise, and I'd love to hear, I'd love to actually take a poll from people who practice with me, how the breath has changed because I get the responses over and over again, how the breath has changed, how it has helped their anxiety, how it has helped um, asthma, all these kind of breath related things um, are helped by the way um, I teach you, teach the, teach you breath with yoga. And it's that I, I have you pay attention to it, but I have you pay attention in a side door manner, meaning I'm not really telling you like, okay, we're working on the breath, but I'm directing you. So we work on the um, the core stuff and it's exhale, come up with the exhale, you empty out, you hold there because that's retention and that's going to give you an opportunity to really tap into deep, deep muscles. And then you inhale and you lower. This is when you're on your back doing abdominal work. That breath is so important. It's training you, hey, to get a good inhale, I have to really empty. I'm going to empty out. I'm going to use my abdominal muscles to help that. I'm going to use my intercostals to help it. When you inhale, your external intercostals, so it's the opposite of what you think, inhale, the external intercostals help lift the ribs. When you exhale, the internal intercostals, they're deeper, they're deeper. This is important. On the exhale, the internal intercostals help you close down, close off the ribs in front. So when you are working the internal obliques, the external obliques, the things we do in the abdominals, you are, they connect. They're not separate. They connect to the intercostals. The intercostal means the space between, it's the muscles that run between your rib cage. Those impact your breath because your ribs, of course, surround your lungs. And the more kind of mobility and adaptability you have, that the, 
the sophistication you have in your nervous system and in your ability to move your rib cage, your breath will be improved. So that was a long answer. There's a lot to say of that. I hope that helps you um, analyze, but take my classes and you'll see. So the next question is by um, Tadja Magic and yoga. I hope I said that right. She said, do I have to complete lit yoga teacher training one if I want to do lit yoga teacher training two, or is it a different yoga teacher training? Okay. So this is somewhat confusing for people. So the lit level one is for the 200 hour, and that is for anyone who wants to learn how to teach lit yoga. It is, you, you kind of have to teach, you have to take that if that's what you want to teach this style. It has a method to it and you can take that even if you've already had another 200 hour, but that is going to be your foundation for going up the kind of lit track. Now, if you are already 200 hour and you're like, you know, I don't know if I want to teach this style per se, but I want to take your lit. I want to take your advanced modules. That's the lit level two. And that's really for people who are not going to necessarily teach lit, but want to learn from me and incorporate parts of it in their already existing teacher training. And so for you, you can get 300 hour credit for that. So I have two parallel tracks. Lit, the lit level one, level two, and level three is purely like you want to, you want to learn this style and you want to go down this path. And you will receive Yoga Alliance continuing education credits for that, except for online, you only get 30 continuing education credits, but in person, you get the in-person hours for that. Some people don't care about Yoga Alliance. <laughs> they just want to like improve and, and learn more and that's fine. But this, this, the way I've set it up appeals to both and, and really answers the calling for what you want. So if you want to, so if you're asking me, do you need to do lit level one? If you just want to do a 300 hour with me, which is essentially lit level two, no, you don't have to do lit level one. But if you want to really like open up a studio, really go down this track of learning the lit style, you have to do lit level one because it's, it uncovers, explains everything really, really in depth. So you can do all of it and 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 you can get yoga lines credit, or you can not care about yoga lines credit and just do it based on your own, you know, what you want to learn. So it's all explained on the website. Check that out some more. And if you have any more questions, write me. So let's see what other people wrote. My goodness, there's a lot here. So I'm just going to go to the next page, like halfway down and, um, okay. So this person asked, because I'm, I'm kind of going through this because a lot of people are like, hey, I love your page. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> Which I love. I love that you're saying all that. I love your, thank you for saying you love my page. Okay. So Alina 20, why do you let your head dangle in poses like side plank or side angle? Um, that's a great question. So for years I taught the kind of more traditional approach where you're looking up at the ceiling, you're turning your head. So those of you who are not yoga people, this might not resonate as much, but you'll possibly see people practicing yoga. And so side angle or um, side plank, you're you're at an angle. Um, so side plank, for instance, your hand is on the floor. Say your left hand is on the floor. Your right ankle is stacked on top of your left. And a lot of people will turn their gaze up to the ceiling. 
And what I will do is just really relax my ear toward my shoulder or look down at the floor. So the biggest, and I'll do that in, in other poses where you're side bending, like she's mentioning in, in side angle or warrior variation, I call it. The biggest thing I would say is it doesn't feel that great and, and to look up at the ceiling. And after a while, you're kind of like, why am I looking up at the ceiling? It's straining my neck. And what I saw um, is that more and more people are learning, are using, are using their sternocleidomastoid, which is this large muscle that runs from your sternum, from your clavicle up to your mastoid process in your skull. And when you rotate your head up and look, you're extending and rotating and that's, ex- and it's, and it's really turning that guy on. Is there anything wrong with working that? No, except that it is known for being overworked the rest of the day with forward head. So it is a um, muscle that is already kind of overcharged. It's a superficial big muscle. It's not one of the deep neck flexors that we really need more strengthening in, that what we would call like the core muscles of the neck. The sternocleidomastoid is not one of them. So think about it this way. If you were doing a sit-up, and you put your like the like kind of traditional way of doing a sit up, and which is not great. You would hook your toes underneath like a bench or something, and then you just go gangbusters, hand behind the head, and just lift all the way up and down and all the way up. So, are you working your core? Yes, but what you're really working is your superficial core, your rectus abdominis, which is a trunk flexor. There's nothing wrong with working it, except that it already is working every time you tr- flex your trunk. It's 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 the one that will take over. It's not proximal, meaning there's many layers beneath it that need to stabilize your spine. So the neck is similar in that I don't want to work like the rectus abdominis of my neck all the time, which is the sternocleidomastoid. Looking up at the ceiling really does that. And it gives people such relief to like not have to look up at the ceiling. The other thing is when I keep my chin more neutral instead of like popping it up and extending it, um, I'm keeping consistent with the calling to my deep core muscles. So the deep core muscles, especially the transverse abdominis, share some fascial connections to the deep cervical flexors, the neck flexors. When you lift your chin up like that and then you turn up to the ceiling, you're really dialing down those deep core muscles. So it tends to also, the people that lift their head often tend to compensate elsewhere, like the, down the chain is affected. So they might pop their ribs more, let go of those deep core muscles in the abdominals, which affects how you hold your pelvis. So that is the primary reason is the movement of the neck is just repeating the movement that you do too much of anyway, forward head, jutting the chin out. And what I want people to do is feel more like, I say this a lot, like in a side plank is like, feel yourself move back into your spine, not away from it. So like pull your head back and then you can just let the head, and then by letting the left ear release to the left shoulder, if my, my hand is down, I'm just, I'm actually getting a nice little lateral flexion stretch on the top side without pushing it on the bottom side. I'm just letting it release. My neck is not holding me up. My neck is not holding me up. And trust me, there are people who are holding themselves up with their neck. They do it in side plank. They do it in handstand. They do it in airplane. It's across the board. So with everything that I do, there is a purpose. And the purpose is to improve your movement habits. 
And if I'm, if, if I'm giving you all this kind of great instruction and then I just let you do that habit that you already do all the time, you're just reinforcing it. And what I say, and I had this great conversation with this woman last week who, um, it was a Skype session and I was doing a private with her and she's out in a really big yoga community. And I was telling her all these things and she just was, I mean, it was, she was kind of blown away, like just the little, little nuggets that I was giving her because she said, you know, nobody's really telling me any of this. And I always thought like, I had to have my knee straight when I was folding forward. I had to have it straight when I was coming into down dog. And I said, well, the problem in the yoga world is that if people don't understand the body and they're teaching a movement system that requires your body, then they're just going to either parrot the things they've already learned, give you instruction, but not understand where it's coming from. And you're, and the big take home, as I said, you're coming into a yoga class. And if you don't have the instruction to do anything different, you're just going to repeat your movement habits that you do outside of the yoga class. So you're basically coming in and even possibly reinforcing them. And what my job is, what I, and what I teach my teachers is we are educators. Let's look at and examine what are the movement habits that are not really long-term going to help us. And what, and so for me, looking up at the ceiling is definitely one of those because we're just basically, we're not looking up at the ceiling the rest of the day. That's the confusing part. It's not like we're mimicking that move, but we're jutting our chin out in that same fashion and using the sternocleidomastoid to extend, to extend the neck when we're in this forward flex position. And, um, we need the deep cervical muscles to, to engage. So it's an opportunity to notice and to change the way we're moving. That's not serving us long-term. There is the very long answer to why your neck should be, um, like kind of relaxed. You're not going to use your neck to hold you up. I'm going to take one more question because I've been answering a lot here or talking a lot about. Okay, so um, this navigating the stars. I have. I love that. I love that handle. She says I have so many questions. <laughs> I have tight lumbar dorsal fascia and something underneath the left scapula that causes pain on deep inhalation and forward folds. Okay, so. Well, I can't diagnose you, and I always like to say that, but here is what my instinct would say. If you are feeling this on a forward fold, I was just talking about breath a minute ago. So if you have that that thickened fascia, remember the fascia is connective tissue that connects everything, and there's places on the body where it is more dense, and those are places where movement, energetic movement or energy is, is going to flow at a, a kind of like zapped up rate. So for instance, you have thicker fascia around your heel into your calf called the Achilles tendon, the plantar fascia into the Achilles tendon, huge amount of energy exchange there. Then it thickens again um, from the gluteus maximus into the dorsal fascia of the back. And that's the thoracodorsal fascia. It covers the glute. It goes into covering some of the lats and then it comes up. Now, all of that fascia, when it's restricted because of the way you're, again, your posture, the way you're positioned during the day, when it's restricted, it's not just restricted in that, that kind of layer 
like that superficial layer, it's restricted underneath too. So that kind of gets stuck to the stuff underneath. That could include your QL. That can include some of the um, connections to the diaphragm. Diaphragm has all connections into the rib, into the pelvis. I mean, it's, it's, so that's probably why you're feeling it when you're trying to breathe. It's getting, you're, when you inhale and you're trying to get that upward lift of the ribs, which remember the external intercostals are due, but you've got this drag down from this thickened fascia in the back, it will feel like you're in this tug of war. Um, and if you're feeling it in forward folds, that's a really uh, perfect example of that that um, fascia is bound to the underlying layers and it just feels like it's not moving. So what do you do about that? Well, I have on my Instagram page several, you're going to have to scroll through because I can't tell you the days, but there's a couple of, I mean, there's many, many, many examples of how to kind of loosen, mobilize that area. You're going to have to not just do cat cow, but you're going to have to shimmy in it, really do some like what I call barrel rolls, where you're moving the rib cage in a circular barrel type patterns because you're trying to free up some of that fascia. There's an example of um, one of my favorite fascial stretches where you go and you face the wall, you stand in front of it, facing it, bend your knees, and then hinge forward and walk your back to up against the wall. So what it will look like is you're like sandwiched, like you're going to be put in a trunk or something, you know, to be shipped somewhere because you're folded in half and then you lean, you're trying to lean as much of your kind of rib cage area into the wall and then letting the head release and working gravity plus weight. You have the exchange of, uh, ground reaction force from your feet into your legs, into that thick dorsal fascia. It is magnificent. And I love doing this in lieu of something like plow, because for instance, plow, there's, I I never do plow. Um, There's so many reasons, but one is somebody like this, when you have all that tightness, when you do plow, all you're going to do is rock up on your upper back because your low back, mid back is just locked. It's not going to move. So that's going to put a lot of weight in an area you don't want to put it. So this is a great way to to open up that back fascia without putting any pressure on your cervical spine. And you're getting so much more responsiveness because weight bearing creates that ground reaction force, which is ground reaction force creates energy. Energy creates the potential for change. Just remember that energy creates the potential for change. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. The other thing, if you're not already doing it, is let your knees bend in any way to keep your spine long. So in a forward fold, hinge at your hips and bend your knees so the all that um, space that you're trying to create is being focused on the back. And the knees, don't. it doesn't matter about them. So I hope that helps. These were such great questions. There's so many more. I'm going to get to them, I promise, next next week. Send me your questions. And anytime you can drop me a line at movement. What is it? Lara, L-A-R-A, Lara at movementbylara.com. And that's all I have to say. That was a lot. I've been talking. But I'm sending you lots of love and always pulling for you. 